Abba, Father, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit upon us and fill us with your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord. Help us to hear your gospel. Repent, believe, and follow you. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Imagine that you're a young child growing up in Israel during David's reign. Every week you go to Sabbath to rehearse the great acts of God. And in these gatherings you hear the stories of the days before David. Those dark days of rebellion when there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And you wonder, as the precocious child you are, how did we get here? How did God raise up for us the king after his own heart, this King David, out of a people who had turned from the Lord, whose hearts had turned from the Lord. You ask your parents, and they sit you down, and they begin to tell you the story of Ruth, where you hear how God works through ordinary circumstances and the lives of ordinary people in the time of darkness and rebellion to bring about the reign of King David. And friends, when we read this story, this is what we hear. We hear how God brings about the reign of King David in the time of the judges. And we also learn three other things. First, that the book, the book of Ruth reveals that God works through ordinary life circumstances to bring about his purposes for his people, even when his people are, aren't obedient. Second, the book reveals God's steadfast love and faithfulness to his people, despite their rebellion and sin. And thirdly, the story of Ruth reveals who Jesus is and how he saves us. So when I preach during this fall series on Judges and Ruth, I'll be going through the, the, the four chapters of Ruth um, in order to learn what God has said to us about himself in this book, about who we are, and about who Jesus Christ is, according to the Gospel of Ruth. But you may be wondering, why Ruth in a series on the Judges? Well, let's turn to the first verse of the book to find out. The first chapter begins with these simple words. In the time when the judges ruled. That's where this story is placed. We know enough about the time of the judges that uh, this is not Israel's best moment. By way of reminder, we can sum up the whole book of the judges up with this last, the last line of the book. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. As Father Caleb has been uh, said many times and been preaching the last several weeks, the people of God, Israel, have become like their neighbors. They were assimilated into the, the pagan Canaanite culture. They were pagans with a veneer and memory of belief in Yahweh. The end result of canonization was idolatry and dehumanizing uh, indifference can remember some of the horrific stories that we've heard in the last few weeks. And this, this dark time, is when the story of Ruth takes place. That's why we're studying it right now, to see what God has to say in this dark time to us. Now the first chapter of Ruth presents three major characters and the main crisis of the story. The three characters we're going to look at uh, in, in, in this sort of in the, the set of characters we have is God, Naomi, and Ruth. And the crisis that we have is, is finding a husband for Ruth and provision in, for Naomi and Ruth as they live in Bethlehem. 
Now, when you read a story, it's vital to pay attention to the characters. So today we're going to look at these, our three characters, God, Naomi, and Ruth. Now, if this was just any story, like Moby Dick or Harry Potter, we would look at what each character does, how they interact with one another, their emotions, their struggles, their backstory, and that would be the end of our character study. However, since this is Holy Scripture that we're reading, we know more is going on here. The Holy Spirit put this book in Scripture to, make, to help us know and to teach us about God, humanity, and Jesus. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10.6, these things took place as examples for us. Thus, we're going to see in the what the first chapter of Ruth tells us about who God is, about humanity in light of the character of Naomi, and Jesus in light of the character of Ruth. So we begin where it's always good to begin, with God. And in the first chapter, God reveals, God's actions reveal three distinct aspects of his infinite triune being, two of which we will look at today. God's judgment and God's mercy. Next time I'll preach, we'll talk about God's provision, which is revealed in the last verse of our reading today. So we turn to God's judgment. Has anyone seen the Pixar movie Up? Yes. Who likes that movie? That's, come on, guys. It's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, go see it. But I'm going to ruin the first 10 minutes of it for you right now. In the first 10 minutes of, the, the, of this movie, you, you're taken through, uh, th through the life of two childhood friends who marry, live a beautiful life together, and then the wife passes away, leaving the husband alone. It's the most emotional first 10 minutes of any cartoon you'll ever watch. It's, it's cry every time. And this is kind of how the first five verses of the book of Ruth feel. But there's a kind of a big difference between up and, and these first five verses. Rather than starting out in the joy and innocence of childhood, this tragic prologue begins with God's judgment. There was a famine in the land. Now we could pass over this fact and just sort of see it as a, a thing to move the story along, but let's pause here. God, in his grace, rescued Israel out of Egypt, establishing a covenant relationship with his people. And in this covenant, there were certain blessings and curses for obedience and disobedience, respectively. In the books of the law, there are two places where these blessings and curses are presented to Israel. In Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, God tells Israel in no uncertain terms what would happen if they obeyed or disobeyed him. So consider some quotes from Leviticus 26. But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, you will not, uh, and break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. But, if they confess their iniquities, then I will remember my covenant, and I will remember the land. So God and Israel have this special relationship, and because of this relationship, we can see that the famine at the beginning of Ruth was a result of Israel's disobedience and rebellion against God. They rebelled, the famine occurred. This is the same pattern that we see throughout the book of Judges. Israel abandons God, judgment comes, God delivers. 
So in the famine, God is judging his people and calling them to repent. He says, if you'll repent, I'll relent. But what does Elimelech and his family do? They flee to Moab. They choose self-imposed exile over repentance and return to God. And this is made devastatingly ironic by Elimelech's name, which means God is king. Hope you appreciate the irony. Elimelech rejects God's kingship, his very namesake, and tries to be his own king. And this only leads to the very thing I imagine he was trying to avoid by leaving to Moab in the first place. Death. So Elimelech, Elimelech Malon, and Chilion die in exile, leaving Naomi, Orpha, and Ruth destitute. But God doesn't abandon his children. Even in rebellion, God shows grace and mercy. In verse 6, after this depressing prologue, we see the first explicit mention of Yahweh's act, acting in the book of Ruth. The Lord had visited his people and given them food. While God is at work throughout this whole, the whole book, there are only two mentions of his direct action here and in chapter 4, and we'll approach that in our last sermon of the series. But here, the simple act of revealing, reversing the famine is not mentioned in any connection to repentance or turning away. What does that mean? All of a sudden, God just shows up and changes things. God freely showers his grace on Israel, even when they didn't repent. And this isn't the only place that God does this. This is, an anomaly. this is not an anomaly. In the book of Judges, one major judge, Samson, was raised up without Israel's repentance. Friends, this is the kind of God we worship. He freely gives his mercy out of his infinite goodness and freedom when we don't deserve it and when we haven't earned it. We can catch a small, tiny glimpse of God's mercy in the story of Les Miserables, one of my favorite novels by Victor Hugo. And the book opens telling this uh, story, uh, about 200 pages worth of a story, about a, a faithful bishop in France who lives a life of mercy and compassion. If you've ever tried to read it and you've seen the movies, you think, why all of a sudden are we reading about this bishop for 200 pages? In this story, all of a sudden, what becomes our main character appears on the doorstep of the bishop's house, a destitute, prideful, hardened criminal arrives, and the bishop welcomes him into his home without a question. Jean Valjean takes advantage of the bishop's hospitality and steals some of his precious possessions, of which he has only a few. But what does the bishop do? When the police bring Valjean back, the bishop gives him everything he stole, and more. He shows Valjean mercy, unasked, unearned, and undeserved. And this, friends, is only a minuscule picture of God's infinite mercy. Now, someone might be thinking, well, wouldn't it be nice if God would just show mercy and not judge and be merciful? It'd be a little easier if he was just, you know, kind of nice and just showing mercy all the time. Friends, that would be, um, 
That would be very unloving of God. God loves his creatures enough to not leave them in their sin. His judgment is to bring us to repentance and healing. His mercy is for our restoration. When the bishop showed mercy to Valjean, he claimed him for God. He did not leave him in his sin. The sin Valjean committed was forgiven, and he was commissioned to live a life of mercy. Friends, God is at work through the story of Ruth, throughout the story of Ruth, in his judgment and mercy. And now we turn to Naomi to learn about humanity in rebellion and in relationship with God. Now remember from our series in Judges that Naomi is a Canaanized Israelite. And because of this, we can look at, at Naomi from two different angles. From one angle, Naomi can be seen as a rebellious and ignorant human being, just a, a pure Canaanite. And from another angle, Naomi can be seen as a human being who God has chosen out of his freedom and goodness as an Israelite, but as an Israelite who has become like the rest of the world. So let's first look at the first angle, rebellion. The first thing we need to see and recognize about Naomi is that, like her husband, she rebels against God's judgment on her sin and the sin of Israel. She flees with her family to Moab. Naomi simply rebels against God. And in doing so, she shows the, to us the heart of humanity. We reject the rule and reign of God for, and, and replace it with our own self-rule. In her rebellion, Naomi loses sight of who Yahweh is in addition to rebelling. Now we can see this if, in, in how she interacts with Ruth and Orpha. If she had known who Yahweh truly was, she wouldn't have wanted Ruth and Orpha to come home, to go home. She would have wanted them to come with her, not return to their own gods. Because Yahweh is the only true God. And all the rest are idols. So the state of humanity is rebellion and ignorance. And when humanity rebels, humanity rejects God, we become ignorant of who God is. When sin reigns in our lives, our ability to know God is darkened. Think about in your relationships or, or your mind, how sin clouds your ability to love and know someone whom you dislike or hate. Think about all the hate that we participate in right now in our political and cultural climate. It is almost impossible to love someone you've objectified into an object of hate. And friends, that is what humans do under the reign of sin to God. We hate God, and therefore we are blinded to God. This is the basic state of human nature under the reign of sun, rebellion and ignorance. However, rebellion and ignorance is only one aspect, one angle of Naomi's character. She's also in relationship with God because she is part of the people of God, Israel. God has chosen her even if she's rejected God. And we see this relationship in a couple of ways in the text. First, we see that she knows, knows of God's loving kindness and covenant faithfulness when she blesses Orpha and Ruth. And second, despite her rebellion and ignorance, Naomi still sees herself as a child of God. For example, when God acts in mercy and brings food back to the land, her first response is to arise and return. The shows that she still sees herself as belonging to Yahweh, despite her bitterness and rebellion. And when she returns home, she laments and brings accusation against Yahweh. 
I don't know about you guys, but some of the things that she says to God are it's kind of uncomfortable. Like, you're not supposed to say that to God. But she does. We see this in verses 20 through 21. And notice that she isn't condemned for talking to God this way. Actually, this is a pretty common way of God's people to talk to God. You can look at the Psalms of Lament, for example, or the Book of Lamentations. What this acknowledges is that even in her bitterness, she still looks to God to show up and do something, even in her doubt and her struggle. And in many ways, the rest of the book of Ruth is an answer to Naomi's complaint of being empty, of being bitter. God listens to her. And yet, in her bitterness and destitution, we wonder what hope is there for Naomi and for humanity. Naomi laments that her life is, was empty and that she is mara, or bitter. And yet, her faithful and steadfast daughter-in-law goes with her to Bethlehem. And not only that, Ruth pledges her life, her faith, and her identity to Naomi's life, faith, and identity. This is what she says in these iconic words. But where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Ruth sacrifices and surrenders everything she has, has, knows, or could desire because she loves Naomi. Friends, Ruth goes to Bethlehem, destitute, with no prospect or expectation of marriage. Ruth goes to Bethlehem with a bitter, angry, rebellious woman and loved Naomi as her own mother. And in Ruth's self-sacrifice, we catch a glimpse of something deeper. Something greater is being revealed here. And in light of the whole story of Scripture, we see in Naomi, in Ruth's self-sacrifice, a figure of Jesus at work. The eternal Son of God descended to humanity, not counting equality with God, something to be grasped, and became fully human. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, destitute and helpless. Jesus was born in Bethlehem for a bitter, angry, and rebellious world who he loved so much that he lived and died for it. Through the orchestration of the Holy Spirit, Ruth's loving self-sacrifice reveals to us the depths of the incarnation of the Son of God for us. And when Jesus came, he dealt with humanity's ignorance of God and rebellion against God, our sin condition. Son of God became flesh to show humanity who God truly was. As the Apostle John said, and we heard in our reading this morning, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, Jesus, has made him known. The Word has made him known. And in his death, he took our sin in order to judge it on the cross and give us his life. Friends, on the cross, the justice and mercy of God is fully revealed. Jesus takes the Canaanite in all of us, puts it to death, and gives us his life, his perfect, beautiful, and good life. When Ruth binds herself to Naomi, we see a glorious and delightful picture of the gospel. 
hear the gospel in Ruth, friends, that God creates humanity and humanity rebels. God chooses Israel and Israel rebels. God sends his only son to save the ungodly. That is the gospel, friends. Undeserved, unasked, unlooked for. We are saved by Christ. And in light of the glorious gospel of Christ that we see in Ruth, we are presented with a challenge today. Now, if there's a character we must identify with today, it is Naomi. And first, if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are, in reality, in rebellion and ignorant of God. This may surprise you. I imagine it might even offend you. But hear this. God is loving and merciful and wants to reveal himself to you and heal you of your sin and brokenness. Give your life to Jesus today. For those of you who are Christians, I think we're called today to really think about the minimal reality, how minimal Naomi's canonized faith truly was. She didn't know God very well. She didn't obey God very well. She didn't really love God or her neighbors. How well does this describe the Christians and the church in this room? Consider these diagnostic questions. Are you overcome by or complacent about sin in your life? Are you more concerned with your preferences or your hobbies or your sports teams than with spending time with God and serving others in his church and in the community? Do you pride yourself, maybe on the other hand, of all your accomplishments in life, your faithfulness and service to the church, your self-sacrifice and good works? The Holy Spirit is at work in his gospel today convicting us of sin. This, friends, is God's merciful judgment. And friends, I want to speak to a wider picture Our church in the West is going through a time of God's merciful judgment. All we need to do is look at the news and see how many pastors and whole churches are being exposed and revealed as deeply sinful, broken, and in some cases simply filled with evil. How do we interpret these events? I suggest to you that it is a call for everyone in the church to repent. We cannot imagine that we are the pure ones in the right and those churches are evil or wrong. We too must repent. The church, friends, is in a time of famine. Will we flee to Moab or will we repent? Rod Dreher, the social commentator and journalist, says that the greatest challenge in the church is an internal challenge. Oftentimes we think about all the enemies on the outside, you know, what's going to happen with the government and all of this stuff. He says that the greatest challenge is an internal challenge, and it comes from indifference to faith. From minimal participation, from living in sin, from practical atheism, from not showing up with our hearts and minds to be transformed by the gospel of Christ and serve the world. So friends, let us lament and repent of our sins, our indifference, 
our preferences, our idols, and our self-righteousness. Repent and believe the gospel. We are all Naomi. But hear this again. Christ died to save ungodly sinners. Those in the church and outside of the church. We are all ungodly and we are all called to repent, believe, and follow Jesus. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, when he binds us to himself, and we give up everything we have as rubbish and dust, saying with Ruth, your God will be my God, Lord Jesus Christ. He accepts us and brings us and begins to make us new. But friends, that's not a one-time thing. You don't show up, it's a one and done. You got your hell insurance, no. We have to be willing to allow God to change us, deeply transform us. And that only happens by surrendering to his will daily and participating in his body, the body of the church through learning and service. If the church in the West is going to survive, friends, we must stop being consumers and become disciplined, loving, holy disciples of Jesus. How, you might ask. Well, friends, there's plenty of opportunities for this in our church. If you want to grow in your faith, that's what Caleb and I are here for. There are plenty of opportunities in what we do in our church. Service is a part of our discipleship. Showing up on Wednesdays, being a part of prayer ministries. There are plenty of people who have the the experience of wisdom and age to, to teach us how to grow in our faith. Will you receive him today? Will you repent and allow God to bring about his will for your life, your sanctification. Let us hear the gospel, repent, believe, and follow Jesus. I say this to you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Abba, Father, we praise you and we thank you for your glorious gospel. We thank you for the story of Ruth that reveals to us who you are, who we are, and the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. We ask you to please Convict us of sin. Renew our hearts. Give us a desire to delight in you and to know you more and to share your gospel with those who do not know you. Pray this all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.